Okay, um, it's my pleasure to introduce Joshua James Brown. Where are you, Joshua? Oh, there he is, right at the front. And he's offside of Dante, so welcome Dante as well. I'll just quickly pray for Joshua. He's, um, Joshua's heads up Voice of the Martyrs in Western Australia, or just regionally in Western Australia. For those that don't know the ministry, I'll allow Joshua to, uh, to share that with us. So Lord, we just um, come before you again. Just thank you for this young man who has a heart for you and has a heart for your word and certainly has a heart for your ways to be displayed through your people. I thank you for his heart and his compassion and empathy, Lord, for, for the, um, the marginalised in the world, for the persecuted church, for the, for the martyrs, and that he indeed stands as a voice for those martyrs, Lord. So I just pray a blessing over his work, the work of his hands, but also, Lord, the work of his heart that you are doing. And I thank you that it's soft in your hand. And we just pray blessing over him this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, man. You good to go? Yeah, yeah. So the rules are there are no rules, all right? Sure. (laughs) All right, morning, everybody. Um, You can all hear me okay? Yeah, awesome. So I'll very quickly um, introduce myself. Uh, So my name is, is Joshua, and I work for Voice of the Martyrs. Maybe could I get a show of hands who's heard of Voice of the Martyrs before? Oh, wow, a lot of people. Awesome. Okay, great. So if you didn't know, since October 2021, I have been the representative for VOM in WA. So there actually is someone here on the ground now, which is myself, where if you ever need anything at all, please do not hesitate to just give me a ring. If you need some resources or want to know how to pray for the persecuted church, different ways you can be plugged in, just anything and everything, I'd be delighted to, yeah, to help out in every, any way I can. I'm here to be of service to the body of Christ in WA. Um, and I'm also going <laughs> to call Dante up, who's got, <laughs> been helping me out with a banner there. Um, <laughs> thanks, Rod. Just bring it around this side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll just stick it next to me. Yeah. Sweet. And then you can pop up as well for a second. Um, so, funny story about, <laughs> about Dante. Um, so I started in October 2021, and the first gig that I had was, um, I wasn't speaking, but it was uh, at uh, Mount Pleasant Baptist, and it was a, a missions expo. So I had a table set up like I do at the back, and it was like a whole day event. Uh, and Dante was with me, helping me on that very first one. Uh, I've hopefully learnt a bit since then <laughs> about the role. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we'll both be at the back. Uh, I used to run the youth ministry at my own church, and so I'd bring them along and they, they would help me out. It also enriched the youth ministry a lot as well. And because some of them, like Dante, know the ropes quite well now, I always still try to ask them to come along and help me out. So... Thank you, bro. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah. So I'm about to show you all just a quick introductory video about VOM. Uh, sounds like a lot of you have heard of us anyway. But I just want to say right off the bat that um, the last thing I want all, any of you in here to be thinking this morning is, and I know that you're not necessarily doing this in a familiar sort of way, like I'm sure many of you are keen to hear about VOM and learn more, but I don't want us this morning to be here going, oh, we're about to hear from another charity and 
you know, another good cause out there. I want you guys to all realize that the message I'm going to be sharing this morning has direct impact for each one of you, and it is very relevant to all of you, right? So I think there's a way we can listen to talks about different organ- that different organizations give almost in a bit of a detached sort of way where this is something we can help out with, right? Something happening out there. This is not the sort of message I'm bringing this morning. So even as we're hearing about VOM, I just want your hearts to be open and prepared to go, how is the ministry of VOM and even more so than VOM, how is the persecuted church and thinking about them and remembering them relevant to my everyday life? Because if you walk out here today simply temporarily being moved with compassion by the stories and so on, and maybe even give some money and then kind of wash your hands and go, I've, I've done my part, I wouldn't have done my job properly today, all right? And so that's just a, a preliminary thing I want to say, that our hearts are in the right place. And with that, yeah, we'll, we'll play the intro video that you can get a feel for who we are a little bit. Thank you so much. Jesus Christ didn't avoid the suffering. He didn't avoid the persecution. Though he ushered in the very kingdom of God, he was persecuted and executed for it. In this world we will face tribulation, but you promise you'll be right here with us. And he said to his followers, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And to this day, all over the world, they still do. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. If our God is for us, we are not alone. But Jesus promised more, that those who suffer for his name's sake would not be forgotten, not by God and not by the family of God. The Voice of the Martyrs was founded by a persecuted Christian as well. Richard Wormbrand reached out for Christ to the Nazis in the early 1940s when they came into his native Romania. He felt a calling to reach out to atheists for Christ. He prayed for opportunities to share Christ with the Russians as well. And when the Soviet communists entered into Romania in 1944, they came right to his doorstep. Richard boldly witnessed to them as well. And just as Jesus promised, they hated him for it. He was arrested and sent to prison for a total of 14 years, often in solitary confinement, often tortured. Through it all, he held on to his love for God and committed to witness for Christ in word and deed even to his torturers. In 1967, Richard, now free from jail and out of Romania, founded an organization committed to sharing the stories of others who, like him, were being jailed, persecuted, tortured, or killed for their faith. He often quoted Hebrews 13.3, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. That organization today is operating in 68 countries around the world, in regions that are dangerous, in countries that are restricted, reaching out through persecution response, through Bible distribution, and through frontline ministry. That organization is committed to stand with their persecuted family by saying we will not let them suffer in silence. 
We will not let them serve alone. That organization, Voice of the Martyrs. We will share their stories with the world. We will mobilize the body of Christ to stand together with brothers and sisters who face persecution wherever it happens. We will serve persecuted Christians through practical and spiritual assistance. And we will carry on the mission of the one who called us, Jesus Christ, who said the kingdom of God is at hand. I have here the book, Tortured for Christ, that Richard wrote, that sent shockwaves throughout the Western world since people didn't know what was going on behind the Iron Curtain for Christians during the Cold War. And I'm just going to read uh, some excerpts out of it, just to uh, give you a bit of an idea of the book, if you'd like a copy of one. Um, There's a whole bunch I have at the back. Uh, And also just to give you a sense of what actually goes on for believers, not just centuries ago, but even today and just mere decades ago. Uh, So first, uh, in this excerpt, Richard is speaking about another pastor named Florescu. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but um, this was in Romania, of course. A pastor by the name of Florescu was tortured with red-hot iron pokers and with knives. He was beaten very badly. Then starving rats were driven into his cell through a large pipe. He could not sleep because he had to defend himself all the time. If he rested a moment, the rats would attack him. He was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night. The communists wished to compel him to betray his brethren, but he resisted steadfastly. Eventually, they brought his 14-year-old son to the prison and began to whip the boy in front of his father saying that they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wished him to say. The poor man was half mad. He bore it as long as he could. Then he cried to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beating anymore. The son answered, Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. It was a 14-year-old boy. The communists, enraged, fell upon the child and beat him to death, with blood spattered over the walls of the cell. He died praising God. Our dear brother Florescu was never the same after seeing this. Now Richard is speaking more generally about what happened to him and other Christians. Handcuffs with sharp nails on the insides were placed on our wrists. If we were totally still, they didn't cut us. But in the bitterly cold cells, when we shook with cold, our wrists would be torn by the nails. Christians were hung upside down on ropes and beaten so severely that their bodies swung back and forth under the blows. Christians were also placed into icebox refrigerator cells, which were so cold that frost and ice covered the inside. I was thrown into one while I had very little clothing on. Prison doctors would watch through an opening until they saw symptoms of freezing to death. Then they would give a signal and guards would rush in to take us out and make us warm. When we were finally warmed, we would immediately be put back into the icebox cells to freeze. Thawing out, then freezing to within minutes of death, then being thawed out over and over again. 
Even today, there are times when I can't bear to open a refrigerator. We Christians were sometimes forced to stand in wooden boxes only slightly larger than we were. This left no room to move. Dozens of sharp nails were driven into every side of the box with their razor-sharp points sticking through the wood. While we stood perfectly still, it was all right. But we were forced to stand in these boxes for endless hours. When we became fatigued and swayed with tiredness, the nails would pierce our bodies. If we moved or twitched a muscle, there were the horrible nails. What the communists have done to Christians surpasses any possibility of human understanding. I have seen communists whose faces, while torturing believers, shone with rapturous joy. They cried out while torturing the Christians, we are the devil. Westerners have probably heard about brainwashing in the Korean and Vietnam wars. I have passed through brainwashing myself. It is the most horrible torture. We had to sit for 17 hours a day for weeks, months and years hearing communism is good, communism is good, communism is good, Christianity is stupid, Christianity is stupid, Christianity is stupid, give up, give up, give up. Several Christians have asked me how we could resist brainwashing. There is only one method of resistance to brainwashing. It is heart washing. If the heart is cleansed by the love of Jesus Christ, and if the heart loves him, one can resist all tortures. What would a loving bride not do for a loving bridegroom? God will judge us not according to how much we endured, but how much we could love. The Christians who suffered for their faith in prisons could love. I am a witness that they could love God and men. I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers in whose, ma- in whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for the communists. This is humanly inexplicable. It is the love of Christ which was poured out in our hearts. Now, I understand after reading something like that, I'm, I'm intimately aware because this is my job. I'm exposed to this sort of thing on a weekly and even daily basis. The impact that that can have on, on you, right? Um, I was talking right at the beginning about not detaching ourselves in you know, hearing from another charity or so on. It can be even easier to do that when we hear this sort of thing where we can't even relate and experientially struggle to comprehend that this can even happen and perhaps fear, would I even be able to do the same thing? Which is why it's really important for me this morning to share with you what the heart of our ministry is because in the heart of VOMs, uh, in the, in, at the heart of VOM is, I believe, really the, the answer as to how we're meant to land in our hearts when we hear these things. And so before I share more about what's going on around the world today and different stories and even about the work VOM does, I want to get right to the heart of who we are and use that to frame the rest of my, my talk today and even the message I'm going to share. Our Voice of the Martyrs has two main goals in our mission statement. 
The first is to provide practical and spiritual support to the persecuted church, which is the obvious aspect of our ministry, the thing that most people will go, okay, like, what do you do? Who do you support? Okay, that's the good cause that you guys you know, are, are helping. Uh, but we have a second part of the mission statement too, and that is to bring the, the Western church or the free church into fellowship with the persecuted church. And that is just as essential as the other part of what we do. And it is actually where this ministry is directly relevant to every single person in this room. Often when we think of fellowship, we, I think, reduce it down to, a lot of the time, merely practical terms. Uh, We think of praying for each other and eating a meal together and coming to church like this and That is definitely a part of fellowship, but it goes deeper than that and has much broader implications than just that. So I'm going to read out the the key verse for Voice of the Martyrs. It's Hebrews chapter 13.3. It's there on the screen. Uh, It says, Remember those in prison as if in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And that's really the key to everything I want to say today is that You are in the body and so are your persecuted brothers and sisters. You are one with them. You are family with them. And the Bible has direct implications that flow from the fact that we're one body that are broader than what we do in the local church. If you think of the New Testament and you think of the letters of Paul, he was writing over geographical distance to churches he'd planted. Even the New Testament is, is a picture of a global church of... Uh, messengers going in between these churches, bringing letters, bringing funds, right? When you read the New Testament, you're looking at a global church and a global church that was encouraging each other, where the apostles were going around and strengthening the body of Christ around the world. And we often lose sight of that more global perspective or perhaps don't know how to connect with that in a practical way for our lives each day. Well, I hope I can help with that today. And we can begin right here with this direct implication of us being part of the body with persecuted believers. It says to remember them as if you were there with them, right, when you pray for them. What does that mean, right? Surely doesn't mean just remembering something off the cuff, like when sometimes you remember something from your childhood because of some trigger and you haven't thought about it for 20 or 30 years, right, depending on how old you are, Um, This is obviously an active sort of awareness and remembrance where they're at the front of your mind. Or if I can put it this way, it's like how you'd remember close family. I mean, who here has family members who they can't immediately see, who live overseas or even in a rural town? Maybe show of hands, right? If you suddenly heard either some really good news or some really bad news about your family, right? Maybe you hear one of them has been diagnosed with cancer, or you hear one of them has just been, you know, become engaged. You're there with them, essentially, right, in your heart. If it's bad news, you might be up at night praying for them, right? That's, that's how we're meant to be remembering the persecuted church, because we're one body. But where this really hit home for me was when I was just starting, and I believe it's in this book, I was reading it. Because it's not just an autobiography, it's also a plea to the church to remember their brothers and sisters. Uh, it's a very moving book. And 
what Richard would say, so you already heard about some of the things that happened to him, but something else that happened was he would be beaten in his feet very badly and afterwards uh, he, you know, his feet never fully recovered. Sometimes when he'd go to speak at a church, he'd have to sit down and remove his shoes. And what he would say to a group of people like this is, why was it that when my feet were getting beaten, it was my lips that cried out in pain? And why was it that when I was being tortured, it was my eyes that welled up with tears? Because I am one body. You know, Paul himself, in the chapter where he describes the body, says, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. But I don't think we always think about it as literally as if we were thinking of a, a human body, right? Uh, a few months ago, I do like indoor rock climbing, just in spare time, just to try to stay fit and so on. And one time I kind of like, I don't know, strained some muscles in my back, but it was really painful. Uh, I thought I'd sleep it off in the morning, hurt so much I almost passed out. I tell you, and I'm sure many people here can relate, when a part of your body is in pain, your entire body is aware of it. In fact, sometimes you have to move in an awkward way to compensate because of the pain, and you do everything you can cooperatively as a holistic body to alleviate that pain. Right? Do we think about the persecuted church in that way? Right? That's one implication for why this is relevant to all of us in the room. But it's not just one way, and that's the thing. Right? This isn't just about how we can help them, even though we're explicitly commanded to in Scripture in multiple places. We need them. Paul says, do not, you know, one part of the body cannot be without another part. And I, when I look out at, and I'm, this is a generalization, but when I look out at the church in, in the Western world, even in here in WA, I'm gravely concerned at the state of the church, right? We are in over our head with distraction and worldliness and self-indulgent entertainment. Uh, we've, we've actually forgotten that to live a Christian life is to live a sacrificial life, right? We've become so entitled with our comforts, with our careers, and perhaps many people, even in a church room like this, God forbid, might stand before Christ one day and he will say, I never knew you, right? Because we, that song we were singing today, it's amazing how a simple line, which can become familiar, actually has so much weight. We were singing, he is Lord. What does that actually mean if we truly believe that, right? The Jesus in the New Testament, what did he say? If you're not willing to hate your, your father and your mother and, and even hate your own life and renounce all that you have, you're not worthy to be my disciple. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom, Right? He, he said things like that. Do we take that on board? He said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you. Have we invented another Jesus in our mind? Well, one merciful way the Lord can splash cold water on our faces and go wake up like he had to do to the different churches in Revelation when he wrote to them right through John is through the testimony and the example of the persecuted church. When you see the light, I can tell you from my own life, you are confronted with what true discipleship and true faith and even true conversion looks like. In some of these contexts, to become a Christian really is to hate your family because that is the only way that that will be interpreted by your family. There is nothing worse you could do than do that. I've recently, VOM has a podcast uh, once a week. It usually gets updated on the weekend. You can just look up VOM Radio. 
Usually people from these places or missionaries working in these places get interviewed. They're very informative, even educational. And also it's really lovely hearing the different accents and just... It's different when you're hearing it from them in an interview. So if that's something you want to check out, um, you can look up VOM Radio. But I was hearing one recently. I always try to listen each week. They're about half an hour long. And this woman had become a, a Christian. And her, her mother, I don't remember how old she was, said it would have been better for her to become a prostitute than for her to become a Christian. Like, that, that's what I mean when I'm saying that it is the worst possible thing you could do to your family in some of these places. And when Jesus said, hate your father and mother, he meant it maybe more literally than some of us might expect in some of these contexts. Uh, and so we need them. You know, we, we, really, we really do need them. We were singing, I exalt thee. And, you know, what, what does it look like to exalt God on a practical level in your life? Well... The way the persecuted church does it is they show how valuable and worthy Christ is to them by how much they're willing to lose, right? If there truly is gain on the other side of this, if truly the reward is so great as the Bible puts it, where we really never sacrifice anything in the ultimate picture, why do we find it so hard to let go unless we're walking in unbelief, right? The, the validity and the substance of their faith is manifest in what they're willing to sacrifice, even joyfully calling it a privilege because of how convinced they are and how much they value the Christ who saved them. And that just reflects on how real their trust in the gospel is and how real the conviction of sin is in their life. Because your value for Jesus will be directly correlated to how deep your need is for him. And how much of a sinner you realize you are. And so they're gospel-centered people at the end of the day, which every Christian should be. And so we need to learn from them. And so that is, that is the, the framework or the foundation upon which I want to build everything today. As I now share some stories and help bring a bit of awareness to really what the plight is for these people today. Um, I wanted to lay that as groundwork first. All right, So that as we're hearing these stories, we... We know how to take them on board, right? And I understand that we may feel angry or even disheartened or helpless even what to do. I will give some practical ways you can actually be of help at the end as well so that you're empowered in that sense. But um, yeah, but in our heart, I want us to be asking ourselves to God, man, what does it mean to follow you and how can I, I gain from the example of these people? And from this day on, remember them for their benefit and for my own as one comprehensive body in Christ as we're called to be, all right? So that, that's, yeah, that's the thrust of where I, I want to go today. And one more, one more implication I want to say first, though, is in all these stories, some of, some of it really is quite horrific and quite horrible. But do not ever make the mistake to see these people as the losers at the end of the day. They are the victors, <laughs> Right, They're the one for whom an eternal weight of glory is laid up for them that is not even worth comparing, as Paul himself said, despite all his many, many trials and hardships. And if anything, when we see their life, we should be going, man, how, how clear is eternity in, in my spiritual gaze? Right? Well, how much am I focused on what's right in front of me and on the things of this world? How is the reaction in my heart when I hear their stories going, man, I could never do that? man, oh, that, that's just so horrible. Or is it going, 
man, what an eternity we must have and what a powerful Holy Spirit we must have residing within. And man, what, what power is there in the gospel if people can live this sort of life and even do it joyfully? I want some of that. That was the effect Paul had on the people he wrote to. They didn't become despondent, they became emboldened. And so I pray that that will be the work God does in our hearts today. And so with that, um, if we can just pull up the map, or maybe the statistics first, actually. Yeah. So this is just, in terms of numbers, I know numbers sometimes you get, you drown in them a little bit, um, or just get feel a bit lost in just the, the immensity of, of it all, but that just gives you an idea of just how many believers are experiencing severe persecution. And I will give some examples of what that means in a second. Uh, and you can see there, um, those who are killed, those uh, even Christian buildings that are burnt down or attacked and so on. Uh, in terms of the mar- number of martyrs, you, if you turn that into an average, it's about 13 a day, right? To make it a little bit more, uh, if it's easy to connect uh, yeah, 13 of your brothers and sisters on average will give up their life for their faith today, uh, for Christ. And so that, that is still happening today. And it is on the rise. Persecution is worse today than it's ever been before in history in terms of its prevalence. And in certain countries, it, it gets worse each year. So if we now turn to the map. So there's a geographical spread of the persecution. You can see essentially... Most of Africa, especially North Africa, heading east, the Middle East, Central Asia, really most of Asia, heading into Southeast Asia, right to Indonesia, our northern neighbor, where it, they have the largest population of Muslims on the planet. Uh, that, that is where those 300 plus Christians are living, and that's where severe persecution is going on. Uh, even over on the wet... On, over to the west, uh, you've got Cuba there as well and Colombia. And there's many different sources of persecution and on many different levels. It can be from the family level to the societal level right to, to the government, right? In some places, the government is against Christians for ideological reasons, whatever, for control. And I guess in a simple way, you could call those restricted nations. Other nations, there's meant to be religious freedom and so on, even in the constitution. But Within the actual culture and society, it's hostile, right? So you've got hostile nations, you've got restricted nations, and sometimes nations of both, right? And so now I'm going to give some examples. Obviously, I could go on and on, but I'm just going to, whenever I come to a a church for the first time, I just kind of talk about the ones that are closest to my heart, uh, where I've got pretty memorable stories that have stuck in my my mind. And so if we begin on the east, uh, in China and North Korea, and if you um, think of Vietnam and Laos as well, and Cuba, you're looking at communism. That is the source of the persecution in these places where ideologically Christianity is a greater threat to the system than almost anything else. And communism, communists themselves say that. Right? They'd prefer crime you know, happening on the streets than churches uh, being planted because of the ideological threat of having some power above the government. Right? And the country I want to focus on is North Korea. Uh, it is a dictatorship, and it's even more than that. It, it's like a religion, where there is this whole uh, religion around the leadership, where the, the people essentially worship Kim Jong-un and his predecessors. 
uh, in each of their houses. They have a framed picture of him. And before they eat their food, they have to thank Kim Jong-un for being their sole provider for everything, right? In fact, uh, because kids are trained to spy on the parents and teachers are trained to figure out who's Christian, uh, teachers know if a child is part of a Christian family because they'll ask a child, when you eat your food, do you close your eyes before you eat? Because that means they're praying (laughs) rather than recanting this thanksgiving chant to Kim Jong-un. Right? And there is an estimated 100,000 believers in North Korea. It's so closed off, it's very hard to determine actual numbers. But let's just put it around 100,000. Uh, there is approximately one third of those believers, so about 30,000 in labor and concentration camps in North Korea. Uh, in those concentration camps, you're looking at approximately 40% of people from estimates. 40% of people die of starvation. Uh, in fact, it, famine is a, a countrywide problem. Uh, many people have been exposed to cannibalism in North Korea because of the situation there. Uh, and uh, in the prisons, uh, there have been reports of Christians just having their mouth filled with gravel, being beaten to death. Uh, that, that's sort of the situation. The pressure is immense. Some believers will not tell their family members for years that they're Christian. In fact, they have a saying, we know the verse where two or three are gathered in my name. Or they say, where two or three are gathered, one of them is a spy. That, that's just the situation in North Korea. And so, VOM, what we try to do is get the word of God into North Korea. Right? The gospel into North Korea. We do it through shortwave radio. And some of the measures we've had to take to get the Bible in there is quite extreme. We have um, a sister organization in South Korea... And at one point, we actually flew weather balloons from South Korea into North Korea to get Bibles over there. Now, we did fall into legal trouble for that. I don't actually know how they're doing it now. But I'm a really great testimony of how God works in these situations because it's not all doom and gloom, by the way. There are many miraculous things that happen. It's just like in the New Testament. Sometimes people were put to death. Sometimes people like Peter were mirac- or Paul were miraculously let out of prison via an earthquake or via an angel leading him out. That's the thing. You, you get all of that mixed together. And the story, some of the stories are so encouraging and, and very yeah, just like incredulous how God works in these situations. So a good example in North Korea is um, the government with their propaganda and so on made a few copies of the Bible and they actually produced a North Korean translation. To, to show to the Western world, look, we have a Bible, we have religious freedom, all a farce, of course. But the thing is that North Korean Bible they produce is actually a decent translation. And somehow we manage to get our hands on one, mass produce it, and then send it back in. And now they can't say, you're sending foreign material into our country, because we can just say, it's your own literature, Right? And so that, that's one story there of how God works. Uh, moving westwards from China, uh, I mean, even China isn't, I could just, oh man, there's so much to talk about, I'll keep going. I mean, China, you've got 750 million facial recognition cameras monitoring the people in that country. And obviously Christians have it very hard over there. It's gotten a lot worse, especially in the last five years with Xi Jinping. If, if you want to know more about the current state of Communism in these countries. I've got a little 
real informative short pamphlet thing at the back. Feel free to grab those as well if you want to just know a little bit about what's going on in those communist nations uh, and about the leaders. But yeah, I want to talk about India, uh, Southern Asia. Uh, In India, uh, the government is corrupt and is sympathetic towards radical groups who want the entire nation to be Hindu. Uh, They're like these political activist groups who are also very religiously zealous and want the whole country to, to, yeah, to be Hindu. And they'll go through villages, they'll try to purge villages of Christians. Uh, like, try to imagine this, right? Because this is what happened to a church. Try to engage your imaginations a bit. Imagine that an angry mob, right? And we, thankfully, haven't had to really face mobs, maybe, in our lifetime, but they're a pretty scary thing, right? Senseless, filled with hate, unreasonable, just this collective mind just filled with, with hatred pouring into this church building just imagine that locking the doors from the inside and for 45 minutes beating all of us in this room with whatever they can find that's what a church experienced three times on one of the three occasions the wife of the pastor uh, was beaten so severely that she actually lost the, ch- the child that she was pregnant with um, and then on the third occasion, this church was a target because the, the pastor um, was an active evangelist and was winning quite many souls into the kingdom. Uh, on the third occasion, they were beating the pastor very badly and his 11 or 13-year-old daughter or so was, was crying out to, to the people beating her father, going, please stop. So they turned on her and started kicking her mercilessly, and she actually suffered internal injuries that lasted one or two weeks to heal. Uh, And so that's the situation in India, but more so than just that, uh, what happens is different states are passing anti-conversion laws. So there's meant to be religious freedom in the Constitution, but these anti-conversion laws say you're not allowed to coerce or bribe someone to become a Christian. The thing is that's not happening but it's easy to frame Christians as doing that, even if they're doing innocent humanitarian work. We've no, we've no expectation for someone to convert. The, these radical groups who go, oh, look, the Christians are coercing people by giving them food. And then they'll come and beat the Christians up. And rather than them being prosecuted by the law, the Christians get, fall into legal trouble as well. And so that, that's what's going on in, in India. And so another thing Voice of the Martyrs does so the, the first thing, we, we have four funds, essentially, four overseas funds that are used to support the persecuted church in specific ways. The first one is Bibles. I've already kind of talked about that. The second one is frontline workers. And that's really, frontline workers are the people through which we do everything in the persecuted church. They're the ones who give out the Bibles. They're the underground pastors. They're the evangelists who are putting themselves at risk for the sake of the gospel and for the church. And so we try to support them in various ways. We may give them a motorbike. That becomes immensely helpful if they're walking for hours on foot just to disciple different house churches. We may give them training and resources, uh, help them start a small business so that they can become self-sufficient, and those sort of things. Uh, Training new leaders is so important because the church is spreading so radically in these countries uh, and so fast that they need more leaders raised up. I imagine a pastor getting thrown in prison and now his 20 house churches don't have a pastor, don't have someone to teach them the word of God, especially if the word of God itself is scarce. It's easy to fall into heresy. So there's a great need, really. Of the four funds, the Frontline Workers Fund most 
I guess, is the most comprehensive one um, of the four. And so, moving now into Central Asia, right up to North Africa, that giant swath of the world is primarily Muslim. And Muslims are, in terms of just sheer numbers, the greatest persecutors of Christians today. And the country I want to focus on is Nigeria. Um, Believe it or not, out of that close to 6,000 a year of Christians who are martyred, um, eighty around 80% of those martyrs come out of Nigeria. Uh, that, that's how violent it is over there. And uh, a couple of stories that I have to share from, from that. Uh, this is last year. I always share these, these two stories in particular, the first time I'm out of church. They came like, we received the, the reports, I think within the same week. Uh, there was a, a young man named Muhammad who became a Christian and his own father tried to kill him and not just that, tried to cut off his legs. Now, he was able to escape, praise God, before that happened to him. Uh, and later on, he found out the joyous news that his brother had also converted and become a Christian. But then tragically, later on, found out that his father had slit his brother's throat. And, yeah, murdered his brother. Um, the, the other story was, this one hit home for me too because she was the same age as me. I was 25 last year. She was also 25, a young adult named Deborah. On, she was at college and they just had exams, I think, or something like that. And on her WhatsApp group chat, she just gave praise to Jesus for helping her. She said, he's the greatest, he's helped me. Her classmates considered that blasphemy against Muhammad. And at school... They stoned her to death and then burnt her body at school. Um, that, so that's what happened to, to Deborah. Uh, and just other atrocities. It's, it's not uncommon for, for even like teenage girls who become Christians to be raped as a punishment for, for their faith. Uh, and so another fund that we have at VOM uh, is the Families of Martyrs Fund. And that's really direct support for persecuted believers. It may be in in real severe circumstances, um, relocating them. Uh, In Afghanistan, when the Taliban took over, we we did a mass relocation effort. because Normally we don't do it on such a large scale, but the, the Taliban were GPS tracking and phone tracing Christians, hunting them down to kill them. And so the need there was quite dire. But it can be other things. In Mexico, um, you have villages where they've been, you know, worshipping, or pretty much pagans, where they've been worshipping their ancestors or these animistic spirits for years, upon years, upon years. And when someone becomes a Christian, the whole community ostracizes them. They may cut them off from the only clean water supply in the village. They'll say, oh, you're angering the spirits and whatnot. You're not joining in with our festivals like you used to do. So we may dig a well. Or at other times we may put children in an orphanage if they've lost their parents. We may help a mother start a small business so that she can provide for her family. If she's lost her husband, that sort of thing. It's real, like, on real practical sort of help. Uh, so that's the Family of Martyrs Fund. And uh, finally, we have a VOM Medical Fund uh, where... That goes to directly providing uh, money for surgery. We even provide trauma counselling, that sort of thing. Uh, one country that we have a little medical clinic set up in is uh, Pakistan. 
which is right next to India. And I have a, the last thing I'll do today is just show you a short video um, that I hope encourages, encourages, encourages you um, about Pakistan. Pretty much they're treated as slaves in Pakistan and the sort of labor they have to do, which you will see, uh, means a lot of them suffer from sickness and so on. And so we have clinics that help with that in Indonesia. There were bombings at one point. Uh, and there was a lady burnt from head to foot, couldn't even clean up, up after herself. She'd lost that much functionality from the burns. So we paid for surgery and skin grafts and so on, and now she's able to at least function and do some things on her own. So that's the, the medical fund. And finally, uh, we do have a temporary fund that we always open up at this time of the year, which is our Christmas care. And I love it. I love, I love it so much. It's uh, pretty much a backpack that has location-specific needs. It could be school supplies or clothes or food or even a little toy. So like the kind of the practical support, but then we put a children's Bible in there as well. And it's for Christian, children of Christian families who they're probably poverty-stricken, may not even be able to afford a present for their kid. And it's just like the, the body of Christ getting together and communicating to these young children who have experienced so much trauma and go, we're praying for you. You're not alone. We, the body of Christ, want to bless you this Christmas and let you know that we're with you. Uh, and so that's what we do. They're about 40 bucks a pack. We pack them locally to be cost efficient. And so that's something that's running up until Christmas, obviously, that we're doing. So with that, pretty much we'll bring it all to a close. Uh, look, yeah, the last, I guess, the last thing I'll, I'll say is just remind us, you know, that yeah, let's be one body with these people. Let's remember them, right? And let's allow our own lives to be shaped by their example. Um, that's a perfect segue to go, you know, there's a resource table at the back. There's so many books there that have so many stories that will challenge you but also encourage you immensely. Uh, we also have a magazine uh, that's once a month. You can get it via email or in your mail. It's free. It's a free subscription. You can also get weekly email updates if you want that are shorter than the stories in the magazine, but there's always direct prayer points attached to them. Um, you can get that via email too. That's free. And even the books are complimentary to today. I'm not charging for them. Okay? If you're going to read it, take it. All right? And I always, people always come up to me at the end every single time. and like, how much does it cost? Really, you can take it. All right? I want you to be blessed. If you do want to give, it's up to you. I'm not going to put a price, you could say, on, on the persecuted church. You give out of your heart what you want to give and be blessed, all right, with the books that are there. Or even if you do just want to give as it is. Um, there's different options there. Um, I don't know if our FPOS machine was playing. It's working now? Oh, there we go. Thank you to whoever fixed that up for me. Um, yeah, really appreciate that. So, yeah, I guess in closing... Other ways you can support, first and foremost, please pray. All right, please pray for the persecuted church. Um, we have an app, Voice um, of the Martyrs Australia. Uh, just make sure you write in Australia when you look it up because there is a US sister organization who have an app as well. Ours is the red one. So many resources on there. There's even sermons from Richard Wormbrand. Uh, there's so much on there. Our website, if you want to check it out, vom.com.au. Uh, yeah, feel free to check that out as well. 
And of course, and we even have a calendar that you can get off our website now. I always get it each year and put it up in my office. There's a prayer point for each day of the year. So if you're a calendar person, there's beautiful pictures of your brothers and sisters around the world, and you can cross off the day and pray for the prayer point. So yeah, our, we want to make this as it, really VOM is we're simply connective tissue bringing you and the other part of the body of Christ together, right, and making that as simple as we possibly can for you. Right, if you get a magazine, it's in the mail. You don't need to think much about it. We just want to connect you to the body of Christ, whether you're giving or not giving. We just, yeah, this is about building the body of Christ to to be unified together, where God is glorified and where the gospel can be spread. And so, yeah, that that's it. If there's other ways you want to help or find out other things or hear more about the different books, just ask me. I'll hang around till you're all gone. Uh, it's it's immense privilege. I always do that. In all seriousness, this is a privilege for me. I, I usually meet the pastor of a church first, and it's been great meeting meeting Wayne, uh, Pastor Wayne. I know that Pastor Kerry was here before. He was going to get me here to speak, but he already left before we were able to arrange that. But I always love finally being able to meet all of you. <laughs> I really love it. Um, yeah, I'm energized by it. And so, yeah, please don't hesitate to ask me any questions. Uh, yeah. Oh, a final thing as well. Uh, when you give to VOM, we are an Australian organisation. We're an Australian charity. The other VOMs around the world are independent from us. So we manage our own projects. We have the freedom to do that. Some people are, are surprised by that. They think we're this big global organisation with a head office in the US or something. That's not the case. If you give, we will manage it here. And the promise is... If you give to any of those overseas funds, including Christmas care, 100% will go to where you send it. All right? So you can be targeted, you can be specific. If you gave a dollar for a Bible, the Bibles are about eight, eight bucks. If you gave one dollar, 100 cents of your dollar will go for a Bible. All right? So that's our guarantee, that's our promise. If you want to support the Australian side of things, you're free to do that as well. We have a separate fund for that. But that's just to let you know how we work, just to give you peace of mind. But yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm so grateful and I just pray that this final video, it's only short, I just really blesses you. It's just great when you can personally see um, your brothers and sisters. I forgot to pull this up, pretty much. I, I've been looking at, I wanted to do it at the beginning because the, um, just that, um, that's the message, right? Let's be bound with them as one body, right? As we're called to be and we ourselves will be immensely blessed and helped by that in our own walk of faith. So thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, um, that's me done.